Everyone else will go ahead and take your Bible and open to Luke chapter 24 as well, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to sort of bounce uh, into 1 Corinthians 15 for just a moment, then we're going to go back to Luke 24, which is where we're going to spend the vast majority of our time this morning. And so we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 15. So I guess go there first and then find Luke 24, use as however many fingers as you need, and, uh, and then we will make our our way into Luke chapter 24 uh, in just a moment. But remember, what we are doing is we are walking our way through Luke chapter 23 and 24 as we celebrate the resurrection, as we celebrate Easter together this morning. And I just want to remind you, Corey did a phenomenal job this morning during our sunrise service. For those of you that were awake during it, I know it was early, but he did a phenomenal job of reminding us of the implications of the resurrection on us, that we celebrate the resurrection because it really is that big of a deal. And one of the things that I've been reminded of this morning is how the resurrection of Jesus Christ unites us with brothers and sisters around the globe on this day. Uh, my phone started going off at 1.35 in the morning with Iranian brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the globe wishing us a happy Easter. He is risen as they celebrated the resurrection of the Lord eight hours before we did. They were texting us and letting us know that they love us, they miss us, and they wanted our church family to know that they say happy Easter. Then a few hours later, it was Jamie that says happy Easter, he is risen, and gives us a word of encouragement. And it's always hilarious to me and somewhat ironic to me that on Christmas, on Easter, on days that we celebrate our faith that my day begins with Iranian brothers and sisters in Christ wishing us a Merry Christmas, wishing us a Happy Easter. Why? Because we're united together in the gospel and we are longing for the day that Christ returns and we are all one big happy family in heaven where we will dwell with him in his eternal kingdom forever. Amen? And we long for that. We look forward to that. And it's mornings like this morning that just remind us that that's what this is all about. That's what we're living life for. We're not living life to make ends meet, to have a great career, to have a, a great this, a great that, or a great the other. We are simply here to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ that he is in fact alive, that he has risen, that we have faith in him, and that we're longing for the day that this world goes away because the eternal one is on the way. Amen? And so as we gather together this morning, let's celebrate the resurrection. And as we do so, we're going to do so by going to the Word and reminding ourselves of what this Easter holiday, what this day is all about. What is it that we are celebrating? And so again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to use this text to sort of outline what we're going to look at in Luke chapter 24. And so if you will, join me again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 through 5. Now we started this last week. We're going to finish it this week. But remember what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 15. He says, Now I would remind you, <coughs> excuse me, I would remind you brothers 
of the gospel. And so we start right there and we pause for just a moment so that we understand what it is that we're looking at. We are looking at the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, Paul is going to tell us, but he first of all says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which in which you received and in which you stand and in which you are being saved if you hold fast the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now just remember last week what we saw is that the gospel is a message, it is good news that transforms our lives. Right? The gospel is not something that we hear and it's like any old news story, it just kind of goes away and moves on. The gospel changes us. Amen. It transforms us. It's that which we have planted our lives upon. If the gospel isn't true, then our lives are pitiful and worthless. Right? I have given my life for the sake of the gospel. If the gospel isn't true, then I don't know what I've been doing. Right? Because the gospel is what I have planted my life upon. It's what you have planted your life upon. And it is that which is saving you. It is that which is ultimately leading you to heaven where you will spend eternity with him. And so Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you and that means so much to each and every one of us. And then he begins to lay out for us the gospel in verse 3. He says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Then, verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or some have died. Now, I want you to just notice one little phrase in that passage that we're going to focus in on, according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. In other words, the death... And the resurrection of Jesus Christ should not have caught the apostles, the disciples, the ladies by surprise. However, as we're going to see this morning, as we saw last week, it certainly did. Amen? Now, flip with me back to Luke chapter 24. You can take your finger out of 1 Corinthians 15. We won't go back there. Luke chapter 24. (coughs) Excuse me. We're going to pick up now. In verse 1. Now, we're, so, we're looking at the four components, components of the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose, and he appeared. Last week we looked at the first two. This morning we're going to look at the last two. And so let's pick up now in chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, listen to this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Lord, we are just grateful again to gather together this morning to be able to celebrate the resurrection as a church family. Lord, I do pray that you would be glorified and honored now as we come before you, as we come before your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in a powerful way and that you would be glorified in us and through us today. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, we saw that the death of Jesus paid the price for our sins. The burial of Jesus proved that his death was real. And then thirdly, this morning, we begin the resurrection of Jesus secured our hope of eternal life. So the death of Jesus paid the price for our sin. The burial of Jesus proved that his death was real. And we begin this morning with number three, the resurrection of Jesus secured our hope of eternal life. Now look with me again in verse one. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, they, the ladies, went back to the tomb. Now if you remember where we left off last week, we left off that because it was the Sabbath, Joseph of Armethia had buried Jesus with the help of Nicodemus, all while the ladies stood back at a distance watching what was going on so they would know exactly where they had laid the body of Jesus. Because it was Sabbath, they couldn't prepare the body the way that they would have wanted to. And so they go home and they spend the rest of that evening preparing the spices in order that so they could come back and anoint the body of Jesus so that Jesus would have been shown that last little bit of love before his departure. And so on early dawn, early in the morning, because they had waited up until the past, that the, excuse me, until the moment that the Sabbath was over, as soon as they were able to get up and work again, they immediately go to the tomb. But I want you to notice, they did not go to the tomb expecting the resurrection. They went to the tomb to finish burying the body of Jesus. They were still in mourning. This was not, a, excuse me, a day of celebration for them. This was a funeral where they had not been able to properly bury Jesus. And so they get up that morning still with funeral mindset and they make their way to the tomb knowing that, excuse me, Jesus' body is still there and they simply want to anoint his body with the spices that they have prepared. The problem is when they get there, the stone is removed, they go into the tomb, and the body of Jesus is nowhere to be found. And the text says that they were perplexed, right? They're trying to figure out what had happened. Now, what I find fascinating, what I find absolutely amazing, is that not one time did the possibility of resurrection ever cross their mind. As a matter of fact, if you read the other gospel accounts, remember that Jesus actually shows up and speaks to these ladies at some point and they yell at Jesus thinking he's the gardener and stole his own body, right? 
It's, it's this, this ironic moment in Scripture where the ladies are beating on the chest of Jesus saying, what have you done with Jesus? And he's like, so you weren't expecting the resurrection apparently, right? Because I'm right here. And they, they never once thought that the resurrection was a possibility. As the disciples will say, it seems like a fairy tale. It seems like something in the movies, right? That's exactly what the disciples think. That's exactly what this sounds like to the ladies. They can't fathom the fact that Jesus could possibly have risen from the dead. Until all of a sudden, as they are trying to figure everything out, two men show up in dazzling apparel. Two angels show up. The women don't know what's going on, but they know that these men are worthy of a bow. And so they bow their heads towards the earth in fear and in confusion, trying to figure out what is going on. And listen to what these angels ask the ladies. Here's what I I love verse 5, because verse 5 gives us the perspective of heaven, right? Verses 1 through 4 give us the perspective of man. We're looking at God going, what is going on, right? And verse 5, we get the perspective of heaven. And the, the angels simply ask this question. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you at the tomb when he told you he was going to raise from the dead? Now, think about this for a moment. Because I think this is helpful. Because what this does is it shows us the difference between God's point of view and our point of view. Right? Not just in the resurrection, but this is helpful in all of life. Because how many times do we look up at the Lord and ask Him, what are you doing? Right? Maybe we don't have the audacity to say that out loud, but we're thinking it. God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing all these things to take place? Right? And up in heaven, God's got it all under control. Just calm down. Right? Just trust the Father. We look at the war going on in Ukraine and we think, God, what could you possibly be in allowing? Why? 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 And up in heaven, the perspective is totally different. We, we don't see it. We don't understand it. And we won't fully understand it. Don't get me wrong. But it's just helpful to be reminded of the fact that God has a plan. His plan is coming about. And even if we don't get it, it's okay. Because his plan is this good. Amen? Now what's fascinating is in this text, these ladies and the disciples later are going to finally get God's perspective brought to them. They're going to get to see it in reality. But as we catch them here in this moment, they're completely confused. And so notice what the angel does, picking up in verse 5. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has Risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. Now, here's what I want you to do take your Bibles, stay in the Gospel of Luke, hold your place in chapter 24, and then flip over with me to chapter 9. All right, because he just said, Jesus told you this already. Let's go find where Jesus told them this already. So jump with me to chapter 9, verses 21 and 22. All right. 
It, it was that way if you were wondering. Right? It's that way just a little bit. All right. Luke chapter 9. <coughs> excuse me. Verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now that sounds pretty clear, amen? I mean, that sounds crystal, crystal clear. Right Now look with me in verses 40, uh, 43 and following. Chapter 9, verse 43. But while they were all marveling at everything that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about the saying. So he tells them twice in chapter 9 what's going to happen, but notice it's concealed to them. They're not able to fully comprehend it. Now jump with me now to chapter 18. Chapter 18, look at verses 31 through 34. I'm in chapter 19, that's why it's not making sense. Now I'm in chapter 18. All right, so look at me now in verses 31 and 34. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Listen to that again. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. These sayings was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Now you can jump back to chapter 24. Three times, Jesus tells the disciples, this is what's going to happen to me. The third time in Luke chapter 18, he gave them a literal play-by-play of what was going to happen. I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to be spit upon, I'm going to be flogged, then I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to resurrect from the grave. The problem is not that the women and the disciples didn't just understand the teachings of Jesus, but notice, Luke tells us in chapter 18, all these things were going to happen in the same way the prophet said they were going to happen. According to the scriptures, Luke said, I mean, Paul said in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, right? And so not only did they misunderstand the teaching of Jesus while he was teaching, but they missed the teaching of God's word as a whole. Why? Because again, they were looking at things from man's perspective instead of God's perspective. What did they want? Well, they wanted a Messiah who would set them free from Roman oppression. They wanted a Messiah who would come down and reign on earth. They wanted someone who would make Jerusalem a, 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 a successful and wealthy nation again. What they didn't want is what God had planned and told them about all along. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53, they missed it. The prophecies about the Messiah, about the Son of Man and how he would have to suffer and die at the hands of the Gentiles, they missed it. They had missed it all. 
But notice, once the angels reminded the ladies of all that Scripture had said, what does it say in verse 8? It says that all of a sudden the ladies got it. They remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It's as if the ladies are there. They're hearing the accounts. The angels are telling them, reminding them of the things that God had told them, that Jesus had revealed, that Scripture had revealed. And it's as if God all of a sudden took the blinders off. And they were able to see clearly for the first time in their lives. And they immediately know that Jesus is alive. And what do they do? They do what we ought to do when we figure that out for the first time. They run and tell those that they're the closest to. Right? They run back and they tell not the twelve because Judas is gone. They tell the eleven of all that they had just figured out and all that had been revealed to them but notice what happens in verse 11 but these words seem to them an idle tale what does it mean it means that the apostles were not ready for the resurrection i think it's funny because we just sort of assume that the disciples the apostles that they were they were ready they were they were geared up and ready to go right why because we've we've read through the gospels We know that Jesus has told them on three different occasions what's going to happen, right? We know what happened. We're excited about it as we gather together this morning, amen? But the apostles were not excited. They were still hiding in fear. They were still terrified of all that had taken place. They didn't know what was going on, but they knew that it was not possible for Jesus to be alive. And again, it's hard for us to fathom. We're, we're, I mean, I wonder, were they not there when Lazarus came out of the tomb? Right? H- had they not been walking with Jesus every step of the way? How were they not prepared? How weren't they able to see? But Scripture makes it clear it wasn't their fault. Their eyes had not yet been opened to the truth. And so what we find is that Peter then runs to the tomb. We know from the Gospel of John that Peter wasn't alone, that John actually outran Peter to the tomb. They look, they look in, they see that the tomb is empty. And what does it say here? Peter saw the linen wraps in a separate place by themselves, and he believed. And he went away from the tomb, and he believed, and he knew God had opened his eyes to the truth that Jesus was alive. But what I want you to notice is the importance not just of the resurrection, but I want you to notice the importance of the appearances of Christ as an affirmation to the resurrection. Luke makes it clear. The other other gospel writers make it clear. The disciples did not believe at first. They needed proof. They needed angelic proof, right? The ladies would have never believed if the angels hadn't shown up. And they also needed to see the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) And so what we see is that the death of Jesus paid the price for our sins. The burial of Jesus proved that his death was real. The resurrection of Jesus secured our hope of eternal life. And then fourthly, the appearance of Jesus solidified the resurrection was real. Now join with me now in verse 13. 
We're not going to read our way through the entirety of the chapter, but I just want you to notice the appearances of Jesus are going to comprise the rest of this chapter. So look with me now in verse 13. It says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing this together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, and they looked at him. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find the body, they came back saying that he had seen, they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And being beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let's just pause there. Verse 13 and following, we have what most believe to be some of the most amazing teaching that must have ever transpired. As Jesus shows up with these two men walking, to the ro- walking on the road to Emmaus and opens up their eyes to the truth of the gospel in all of scripture. And so in verse 13, the Sabbath is over. The resurrection morning has occurred and these are two of the rest. If you look with, back with me. In verse uh, 9, it says, In returning to the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. These are two of the rest. Cleopas, we know his name. We know nothing else about him. The other unnamed disciple, we don't know anything about him. We don't know his name. We never hear of these two men again. But here they are walking back from Jerusalem, and they are making their way back from being out, uh, from, from being in Jerusalem. They make their way home. And as they're making their way home, they're talking about everything that had transpired, all that had taken place. And as they're making their way back home, Jesus shows up and begins to walk alongside them. And as he's walking alongside them, he asks them, what, what you guys talking about? And, and, and I love the humor here because these guys look at Jesus and they go, what, what do you mean, what are we talking about? Are you the only person here in Jerusalem that did not know? What was, trans- like, where have you been, man? And Jesus is like, what happened? What are you talking about? <laughs> As if he didn't know. And so they begin to tell him all that transpired. They're like, listen, there was this man. He was a great prophet. He did mighty deeds. He was an incredible, incredible man. And he taught these things. He did these things. But our, our rulers hated him. And so they eventually crucified him. And they did all these things to him. And now it's the third day after that. 
And, and we were just kind of hanging out, crying this morning with everybody else. And these ladies came back rushing in early in the morning. And were like, man, Jesus is alive. And like, we were confused. We didn't understand it. It sounded like a fairy tale to us. But then some of our guys ran to the tomb and they found that his body was gone. They came back and they believed. And now we're just walking home all kind of confused. And Jesus says in verse 25, Oh, foolish ones. Not because they had misunderstood Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Luke, but because, again, they had missed all of Scripture. They had the Old Testament. They had the prophecies. They had every word that we have in the Old Testament, and they somehow missed the story of the gospel. And so Jesus opens the Bible with them, and it says, beginning with Moses, he revealed to them all the ways that the Old Testament point to Jesus. Now, just pause here for just a minute because I want you to understand the importance of that verse. That verse is what enables us as Bible teachers to go to the Old Testament and know that every text in the Old Testament in some way, shape, or form points us to Jesus. There are no just really cool stories in the Old Testament. Every story in the Old Testament fits somewhere in the grand narrative of Scripture as a whole. And ultimately, all of God's Word is either pointing to the cross or pointing back to the cross. Amen? But it is the cross, it is the death and the resurrection of Jesus that stands supreme over all things. And so he began with Moses. And he began to show them how in the beginning, as God created all things, God was pointing us to the Savior. He probably took him to Genesis 3.15. And he said, you remember when it said back then that one day the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent? That was talking about Jesus. Do you remember when... Moses went up to the mountain and he was going to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac. But God provided a substitute that was talking about Jesus, right? And he, he revealed to them all the places in the Old Testament that God was pointing us to Jesus. And he says to them, you missed all of it. But did not the Messiah have to suffer? You see, the problem is, much like us, we look at God's plan of a suffering Messiah, of a son that had to die, and we go, really? That wouldn't have been my plan. My plan would not be that my son would have to suffer and die for just wicked sinners like us. That doesn't sound like a great plan from a father. And so they missed all of it. They completely missed it all. But Jesus opened their eyes and he began to show them the truth of Scripture. And so in verse 28, it says, as they drew near to their village, Jesus was going to keep going. Notice what it says in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. By the way, what does that sound like? You can talk. It's the Lord's Supper, right? And so 
he, 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 he does the Lord's Supper with the disciples. And notice, or with these two disciples. And notice what it says. Verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I'm telling you, like, you, you ask Bible teachers and Bible scholars if they could go back in time and be anywhere, where would they be? This is in the top three. Right? I, I would love to personally be with the shepherds when they are told the news of the birth of their Savior, when the angels lit up the sky and could not hold in their praise any longer, and they begin to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. Right? I would have loved, as scary as it would have been, I would have loved to have been there when Jesus breathed his last and the tur- curtain was torn in two from top to bottle, bottom. Rocks began to split. People began to come out of the grave and walk around and be standing beside the centurion guard when he said, surely this was the Son of God. I probably would have needed an outfit change afterwards because it had been that scary, right? But it would have been absolutely amazing to witness all of that. But in a close third Walking along the road with Jesus as he was teaching in such a way that their hearts burned within them. As he was opening their their eyes to the truth of the gospel. This had to be a really, really incredible moment. And as soon as they figured out who he was, he was gone. Now, they're seven miles from Jerusalem. But they just realized they've been with Jesus. For who knows how many hours at this point. So what do they do? They get up that very moment. Even though it's night. And they've already told Jesus. It's too late to go any further. And they run back to Jerusalem. They run probably the fastest seven miles. That's ever been run. And they tell the, the, the disciples, notice verse 33, they rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. They then told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Then look in verses 36 and following. We're not going to read it, but notice, Jesus then appears to the disciples. And what we have is not only the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have the resurrected Lord appear to his disciples. Why? Because he wanted them to know that the gospel was real. He wanted them to know that he was alive. Now you and I don't get that same blessing of being able to see the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, but we have eyewitness accounts so that we can put our faith in that. As a matter of fact, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? There were over 500 brethren at one time that can verify the resurrection. Most of whom were alive at the time that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And so what do we have? We have the appearances of Jesus that confirm to us that Jesus is alive. And why does that matter? Because if Jesus is not alive, then we are a bunch of pitiful fools that believe in nothing. But because he is alive, 
then we are the ones who know the truth of the gospel. We are the ones who have had our eyes and hearts opened to the truth of Scripture so that we know who Jesus is, we know what he has done, and we know how to have a personal relationship with God the Father. Jesus is alive. But he first lived a perfect and sinless life as the Son of God, as the Son of Man. He went to the cross to die on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried because he was really dead. And then he rose from the dead, having defeated death and the grave and having paid for our sins. Amen. Yesterday, Carrie and I, Took our kids and our neighbor's kids to, the, to, to Zebulun to get ice cream. And uh, Carrie asked me, she said, do you, do you have any cash? And I was like, I never have cash. I have a card because when I, when I have a card, I just swipe it. And it's like pretend money. It just goes away. I like that better. And, and so she's like, well, let's, let's get some cash. And so she pulled out some of her cash and she, she pulled out $20. And she's like, let's go get ice cream. And I, I laughed like, baby, it's, it's not 1940. That's, that's not going to buy all six of us ice cream. And she's like, well, I always get the small one. And I was like, I don't. We need more than $20 if we're going to pay cash for ice cream. And so she reached out and she got another 20 And I was like, that, that probably will do. But, but here, here's the thing. When you, when you go to pay for something, you have to have enough money to actually pay for it, right? Well, that's what the resurrection of Jesus was. The resurrection was proof that he had paid enough. That all of our sins had been covered. Amen. And so when he raised from the dead, it was God's way of saying, payment made in full. Now let's rejoice and eat ice cream. Now let's celebrate what the resurrection means. Amen? And then, Jesus doesn't just resurrect, go back to heaven and say, I'm, I've done my job, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. No. Because Jesus loved his disciples... Because Jesus loves us and wants an intimate and personal relationship with his bride, the church, he hung around and he appeared to his disciples and to others and to the ladies so that they would know without doubt Jesus was alive. And what I love as a pastor, as someone who spends his life teaching the word, he didn't just appear, but he gave us this little nugget in verse 27, and he said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. I don't think you understand how awesome that verse is to me, because that verse is what enables me to go back to the Old Testament and see Jesus revealed all throughout the Old Testament. And what it does is it helps me know that God's plan from the beginning was Jesus. Amen? Listen, too many times we read Genesis 3, the fall of mankind, and we think, uh-oh, what's God going to do now? As if the milk had just been spilled. Right? Like, you've had that moment, right? Where we're like, oops, we just had an accident. Now we have to come up with plan B. Because we weren't planning on the accident. Oops, now what do we do? Right? God did not have an accident in Genesis 3. That was God's plan from the beginning. God's plan was always to send his son. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. Right? 
Matter of fact, even in the marriage ceremony of Adam and Eve, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I mean, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 5, all the way back then when God created the man and woman, male and female, told them to be fruitful and multiply, put the two together and said the two shall become one flesh, that was talking about Jesus. That was showing us the relationship that Jesus was one day going to have with the church. Husband, wife, Lord, and bride. Right? And, and, and so what Jesus does is he says, here is the truth of what you've been missing in the Old Testament all along. And he opens their eyes, he opens our eyes, and he confirms the fact that he is alive. So what does it mean for us? It means that if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then he is alive. And he has already paid the price for your sins so that all you have to do is confess him as your Lord and Savior. And then you can have an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus and with the Father. The Holy Spirit of God will take up residence in your life if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus. What does it mean? It means that we have something to praise God for. Amen? When the world around us is falling apart, when our lives are a part of that which is falling apart, we still have much to praise God for. Amen? It also means that we have good news to tell. We, we do not stand firmly in the gospel until we really understand that the gospel is good news worth sharing. And so let me encourage you, if you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, let today be the day. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, praise him today. Amen? And make sure that you are telling others the good news that has changed your eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. We thank you for what you accomplished on the cross, that you died to pay for our sins, that you were buried to confirm your death, that you rose from the grave having defeated death and the grave, and that you appeared to many confirming that the resurrection was real. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day that you call them unto yourself. And Lord, that they respond in faith. Lord, I pray that as we go out of this place, that we would praise you for what you have done. And Lord, I pray that we would share the good news with those that we come into contact with. Lord Jesus, we love you and we surrender ourselves to you now during this time of invitation. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.